0: Chapter fourteen of the Devil's Garden by W. B. Maxwell This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss Tomsaudiobooks.com. Chapter fourteen. Fat, easy years came now after the hard and lean ones, and the Dales in the dual regions of home and trade were doing really well. Dale had a powerful, decently bred cob to ride. On Wednesdays when he went into Old Manningley for the corn market he often wore a silk-top hat and always a black coat, and at all times he looked exactly what he was, an alert, industrious, straight-dealing personage who has risen considerably and who intends to rise still higher in the social scale. As to Mavis she had another baby, a boy this time, and she was an infinitely proud mother as well as a very busy woman." She kept cows, poultry, and bees, could and did distill a remarkably choice slow gin, had achieved some reputation for her early peas and late lettuces, and had made the quadrangle in front of the house a sight that even tourists from London talked about. It blazed with color from May to November, and there was one of the Rodhaven drivers who on several occasions stopped his charabonks to let the passengers have a long look at it wandering artists too fascinated by the stone walls the flowers the white paint and the green shutters would sometimes ring the bell and ask if mrs dale let lodgings mrs dale was rather crushing to masculine intruders of this sort especially when they adopted an off-handedly gallant air in answering their questions she drawled slightly and smiled in a manner that although not contemptuous might permit them to guess that they had made a tactless mistake oh no we do not let lodgings don't you really i think you ought to you know possibly said mavis drawling and smiling but mr dale and i do not think so of course if we did we should put up a board or notice and you may observe that there isn't one she was however always gentle and forbearing with wanderers of her own sex to two ladies who expressed disappointment at finding no apartments and asked if she did not at least provide afternoon tea she said at once oh certainly i shall be delighted to give you some tea they were tired dusty not young and she showed them into the grand front parlour that contained her piano pictures well-bound books and there laid the table and brought the tea with her own hands such a tea the best china thick cream three sorts of jam cakes and jolly round homemade bannocks the ladies were so pleased until they became embarrassed for of course when they wished to pay mavis could not accept payment oh indeed no you're very welcome i hope that you'll stop and rest as long as you like and faintly blushing she shied away from the open purse and hurried out of the room what on earth are we to do said one of the ladies i saw a child in the passage said the other lady let us offer the child a present ah that solves the difficulty but how much i suppose it must be half a crown nonsense said the other lady tartly that is more than the price of the whole meal if she had let us pay for it a present of a shilling at the outside no a shilling is absurd sixpence do you really think so yes sixpence wrapped up in a bit of paper then you must offer it and the other lady did is that your little girl oh what brown eyes and mamma's pretty complexion good afternoon "'We are so much obliged, and this is for you, dear, to buy sweeties.' Mavis was not disposed to allow her small princess to take a tip from a stranger's hand, but natural good breeding forced her to acquiesce. The ladies looked back at her, waved their hands by the garden gate, and went away talking. The child never said thank you, badly reared. But the mother thanked you. I liked her face. She must have been distinctly good-looking.' The artists thought her distinctly good-looking even now, and perhaps, after being repulsed in their quest for bed and board, drifted off into an idle dream of how they might have met her a few years ago when they were less famous but more magnetically attractive. What a sitter she would have been for them if she wouldn't be anything else! They admired the extreme delicacy of her nose that seemed so narrow in the well-rounded face, the loose brown hair that showed such a red flash in it beneath her sub-bonnet, the perfect modeling of full forearms, firm neck, and ample bosom, the whole poise of her graciously solid figure, at once so reposeful and so free. But it was the eyes principally that set them dreaming of vanished youth, abandoned hopes, and lost opportunities. Nowadays Mavis could meet the unduly interested regard of male investigators with a candid, unvacillating outlook there came no hint of feebleness in resistance, too ready submission, or temperamental proneness to surrender. But her eyes, whether she wished it or not, still served as messengers between all that was feminine in her and all that was masculine outside her. And with no reason not to tell the truth they told it boldly, seeming to say, Yes, once I had much to give, and I gave every single bit of it to one man. I have nothing left now for cadgers, sneak-thieves, and other outsiders she was a woman steadily completing her cycle in fact with her added weight broadened contours and settled mental equilibrium she had so changed from the slim pallid, childish mrs dale of the post office that any old rodchurch friends might be forgiven for saying that they could scarcely recognize her really shouldn't have known you said one of them frankly you have furnished like a colt brought in from grass to corn this outspoken old friend was mr allen the saddler who turned up one winter day when vine pit had been thrown into a great state of excitement and confusion by the passage of the hunt right across the meadows behind the orchard just after dinner everybody had heard the horn sounding in the woods with distant hollows and deep music of hounds and then the pack came streaming out in full cry and next moment all the horsemen were galloping over the fields and leaping the hedges The women ran forth from the back of the house. The men abandoned their work. Oh, oh, look and look! There were shouts of rapture each time the horses jumped. Oh, criminy, that were a beauty! Then in another minute Dale himself came galloping to the empty yard, rode his horse along the flags into the garden, and yelled to Mavis that she was to fetch trays of bread and cheese and bannocks as quick as light, and bring the white bob full of beer, and whiskey and water, and some of the slow gin and devil knows how many glasses mrs dale and mary before one could look round carried out into the yard all these light refreshments and with them dale regaled the large concourse of unexpected visitors that was pouring through the open gates his guests were grooms second horsemen one or two farmers and several dealers the people who are rarely in a hurry went out hunting and after them came pedestrians a sturdy fellow in a red coat with a terrier in his pocket and a terrier under his arm a keeper a woodcutter abraham veal the hurdle maker and just riff-raff the very tale of the hunt and at the tail of the tale that stupid trade neglecting mr allen for a while the yard was full of animation the horses pawing and snorting dale bustling hospitality his wife filling the glasses and handling the food and everybody talking who was not eating or drinking Mr. Allen was exhausted, tottering on his skinny legs, but nevertheless burning with ardor for the chase. "'They've changed foxes,' he cried breathlessly. "'They've lost the hunted fox, and they've only themselves to thank for it. I told them, but they wouldn't listen. I knew.' "'Ah, but you always know,' said a second horseman, grinning. "'If Mr. Maltby,' said Allen, "'had cast back instead of forward last time I'd hallooed, he'd have had the mask on his saddle-rings by now.' Then he sank down upon one of the upping-stocks, snatched a hunk of bread, munched hastily. "'Mr. Allen, you've no cheese. Here, let me fill your glass again. How's Rodchurch?' Every time that Mavis passed, she asked a question. "'Mr. Allen, how's Miss Waddy's sister?' "'Dead,' said Mr. Allen, with his mouth full. "'Dead? Oh, that's sad.' Then next time it was, "'How's Miss York? Not married yet?' "'No, nor likely to be.' The horse-people soon began to move off again. "'Thank you, Mr. Dale. Good night, Mr. Dale. You've done us proper, sir. Just what I wanted. Good night, ma'am.' But the foot-people lingered. The red-coated earth-digger, Veal, and one or two others had got around Mr. Allen and were chafing him irreverently. "'There, that'll do,' said Dale, joining the group and speaking with firmness. Then he politely offered to have a nag put into the gig and to send Mr. Allen home on wheels. "'Thank you kindly,' said Allan. "'I'm not going home, but if your man can rattle me a mile or so up towards Beacon Hill, it's a hundred to one I shall drop in with them again. With the wind where it is, hounds are bound to push anything that's in front of them up to the high ground.' As soon as Dale went to order his gig, the clumsy facetiousness was renewed. 'Tis a pity you've been a hound yourself, Mr. Allen. "'Ah,' said veal. "'if the woodpucks could transfer him on to all fours, what a farter he'd make to the next litter of pops at the kennels. By gum, said the earth digger, slapping his leg, they pups would have noses. They wouldn't never be at fault, would em? Old Mrs. Goody, who had a single taste in raillery, was so convulsed by this jesting that she put down her tray in order to laugh at ease. And chiefly because she was laughing, Mary laughed also. And you know most of the tricks of foxes too, don't you, Mr. Allen? Now, then, said Dale, returning, that's enough, my lads. I dropped you the hint by now. You're welcome to as much more of my beer as you can carry, but you won't sauce my friends inside my gates nor outside either if I chance to be there. All right, sir. Take no heed of them, said Alan. It's only their ignorance, and he staggered to his feet. Dale escorted the honored guest to the gig, then wiped his perspiring face, lighted a pipe, and then reproved Mary and Mrs. Goody for unseemly mirth. They still had Mary with them, and, although they did not know it, were to enjoy her faithful service for some time to come. Now that Mrs. Dale grew her own vegetables, purchases for Mr. Druitt the Higgler had become rare. Only an occasional bit of bacon, or once in a while a couple of rabbits, a hare, a doubtfully obtained pheasant could ever be required from him so that the greater part of his frequent visits were admittedly paid to the servant and not to the mistress but he proved an unconscionably slow courtier mary for her part when she was teased about him and asked if he did not yet show anxiety to reach the happy day always tossed her head and said that she was in no hurry that she doubted if she could ever tear herself away from vine pits and so on then at last a shocking discovery was made mary after an afternoon out came home with her face all red and blubbered sat in the kitchen sobbing and rocking herself and told mavis how she had heard on unimpeachable authority that the higgler was a married man he had always been married and poor mary confessed that she was very fond of him although so angry with him for his disgraceful treatment of her on the next visit of the higgler dale was lying in wait for him come inside please i'd like a few words with you mr drewitt and the higgler was led through the kitchen and up the three steps into the adjacent room. Here, as soon as the door had been shut, Mr. and Mrs. Dale both tackled him. Dale was very fine, like a magistrate, so dignified as well as so severe, accusing the culprit of playing fast and loose with a young woman, of arousing feelings in her bosom which he was not in a position to satisfy. A girl, said Mavis, that we consider under our charge as much as if she was our daughter. Who looks to us, said Dale, for guardianship and protection. Mr. Druitt, sitting on the edge of his chair, smiling foolishly, nodded his head in the direction of the kitchen door and gave a queer sort of wink. Meaning, her? Yes, who else should we mean? I've never said a word of love to her in my life. Oh, how, cried Mavis, can you make such a pretense? Because it's the truth. But, said Mavis indignantly, you've made her fond of you. You've courted her. The higgler distinctly preened himself and smiled archly. Ah, there's a language of the eyes which speaks perhaps when the lips are sealed. Mavis was angry and disgusted. You, a married man. Dale, outraged too, spoke with increasing sternness. You don't deny you've got a wife? The higgler answered very gravely. Mr. Dale, that's my misfortune, not my fault. But my wife isn't going to last forever. And the day she's gone, that is, the day after I've buried her decently, I shall come here to Mary Parsons and say, Mary, mind you, I've never called her Mary yet. I shall say, Mary, my lips are unsealed, and I ask you to be my true and lawful second wife. They could make nothing of the Higler. It's seven years he went on, since Dr. Holland said to me, I have to warn you, Mrs. Druitt isn't going to make old bones. However, we find it a long job. There's a proverb, isn't there?' Creaking doors. Mary was inexpressibly shocked. How can you talk of your wife so? Have you no feelings for her? Mrs. Dale said the Hagler solemnly, "I married my first wife for money, and I've been punished for my mistake. That's why I made up my mind I'd marry next time for love, in choosing a wholesome maiden and not asking what she'd got sewed in her petticoat or harbored in the bank." And nodding, he again gave his curious, self-satisfied wink. Mr. Dale, you tell her to wait patiently. I'll be true to her if she'll be true to me. Then he rose and, smiling sheepishly, once more addressed Mrs. Dale. The purpose of my call this morning was to say I shall have some good bacon next week. Mavis refused the bacon, and Dale said a few words of stern rebuke. I can tell you, Mr. Druitt, I take a very poor opinion of your manhood and proper feeling. Then Mavis interposed to check her husband. The fact was she felt baffled by the situation, and utterly at a loss as to what would be the best way of dealing with it. Whatever one might think of Mr. Druitt oneself, there was Mary to be considered. What would ultimately be best for her? The man was warm, and Mary, who was not growing younger, said she liked him. "'I'll wish you good morning,' said the Higgler. Then, when they thought he had been long gone, and Mavis was talking to Mary, he put in his head at the kitchen doorway. "'Will this make any difference?' he asked shyly. "'Should I call again, or do you forbid me the house?' The three women, Mavis, Mary, and Mrs. Goody, all looked at one another, quite perplexed. "'Er, no,' said Mavis, after a pause, "'you can call. I may just possibly be wanting bacon next week.' "'It's a real beautiful side.' And without a glance at Mary he disappeared." then mary instantaneously decided that she would wait for him and not break with him and she asked mrs dale to run out and tell him that she would wait but that mavis could not do it would be too undignified mary must restrain her emotions till next week and tell him herself chapter 14 recording by tom dot